Our scripture lesson today comes from the second epistle of Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, and I'll be reading from the New International Version this morning. Hear these words. His divine power has given everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly and sisterly kindness, and to brotherly and sisterly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he or she is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten what has been cleansed and that they have been cleansed by their past sins. Therefore, my sisters and brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My first job offer came when I was a sixth grader. It was from Mrs. McKee across the street. Word came to me that she was looking for a weeder, somebody to weed her rose garden. She was very particular. She loved that rose garden. There were to be no weed killers used, um, no trials, no hoe. It was to be done by hand. Tough work on the knees and the hands. Pay wasn't that great. But my dad told me it would be a character builder. <laughs> so I took the job. There were perks. I found out the first day when I finished, got down to the end of this row in the rose garden, and there she was. She was in a chair. She had a half-frozen slushy RC and a moon pie waiting for me. And um, here was the deal. I f found out rather quickly. I was to get on the ground and drink and eat, and she was to sit and talk. I was to listen, and she was to talk. Her husband, his name had been Roger, and he had just died very suddenly. So that first time we talked, she spent some time talking about Roger. Then it was about the third time, and she said something that really caught my attention. She said today, and she was very clear, she said, today, Roger and I went shopping at the A&P store. And my slushy RC went up in my nose. <clears throat> so I went home, I had to tell my dad. I said, Dad, I don't know what to do. Um, Mrs. McKee, she, she thinks her husband's still alive. He said, now just slow down, calm down. He said, look. His death came suddenly. When that happens, um, a person can go into a state of numbness and shock. Besides, I'm sure she's very lonely. Here's the best thing for you to do. Just, you just be kind, okay? You just listen and smile, smile and listen and be kind. He says sometimes it just takes people a little while 
to let reality catch up with them. My dad was right. About three or four weeks later, she and Roger weren't going to the A&P store anymore. She understood that she was going to have to leave him out at the Green Hill Cemetery. Now, I'm sure most of her healing, getting to a better place, had to do with time, just time. But I, I think that thanks to my father, I did learn a little something about the character of kindness to help us all along our way. We're going to talk about kindness today. And because it's being talked about here in this letter of Second Peter, this is called a general epistle. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it doesn't have a specific address on this letter. A lot of Paul's letters, they, they were written. We know to whom they were written, to people, to church. It has an address. This was just written to the church, to you and me as a whole, okay? This was a tough time to be the church. We know that this is when Emperor Nero was reigning in Rome, and there was all kind of persecution of those first Christians. And in the middle of all that, this author of 1st 2nd Peter, he starts by saying, look, in the middle of all this turmoil, we still are called to live a Christ-like life. And you've been, he said, you've been given the power to do that. So add to, add to godliness goodness and to goodness wisdom and to wisdom self-control and to self-control um, endurance and to endurance brotherly and sisterly kindness. Now, wait a minute. You mean these people are dealing with the principalities and powers of the world coming down on them? And he's going to start this letter and he wants to talk about something like kindness? Yes. Yes. Now, you know, I, I was kind of relieved this week when I knew this was going to be our, our subject because it's not a real controversial subject. I mean, sometimes the, the scriptures will push a minister out to the edge of the comfort zone, you know, you're going to be talking about social justice or peace and war. Then a minister can get in hot water talking about those topics. But kindness, I've never heard a preacher get in trouble talking about kindness. And there is a kind of degree of simplicity about the subject. I use that word kindness. You know what I'm talking about. You know the occasions that call for kindness. Maybe you had it this week, you know, the, the pharmacist's at CVS, she's had a long day. You can see the weariness and the lines on her face and she's becoming gruff and impatient with the customers. Or, or the person you work with, he brings his problems to home, from home to the office and he spreads it all over the place. I mean, you know that there are moments, people and occasions that call for kindness. Sometimes we're kind, sometimes we're not, but you know what I'm talking about, right? I think we all do this. I do this. I, I like to rank subject matter, you know, lightweight, middleweight, heavyweight. Where, I mean, really, where would you rank kindness? Probably down on the, I don't know. The older I get, the less sure I am about what's large, what's small. Maybe I'm being confessional. Yeah, it might be. I mean, I, I go weeks at a time, no red letters days, no big things, okay? I had a woman in another church. She came up to me one day and she complained and she said, okay, you know, most of my life is spent between the house and the chicken yard and the chicken yard and the house. Well, I thought about that and I thought, well, I guess really that's where most of us spend our life, between the house and the school and neighborhood and the office, 
right? Common ways and common days. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anymore what's large, what's small. I know there are these wisdom writers that come up with these little aphorisms that put small things in its place. You've heard some of them. Don't sweat what? Yeah. Don't make mountains out of... Yeah. You know the problem with a lot of those little aphorisms? There's truth there. But if you push on them too hard, they do not hold water. Here's my argument with that mountain and molehill thing. The molehills are the fabric out of which most of my story is being written and yours. Now, if we got together today in little cluster groups, five or six of us, and I ask you, now tell, some, tell about someone in your life that has been most empowering and has made the most difference in your life. A lot of you would talk about somebody who sweated the details, yeah. They called you on your birthday because they remembered your birthday. They knew the name of your children, maybe even your grandchildren. There's a philosopher named Plutarch, and he said, if you want to measure the greatness of a person, uh, don't count how many ships have been launched, how many battles have been won, how many books have been written. He said, you put your eye on the trivial incident the insignificant moment, and there you're going to find the true revelation of character. And isn't that where the character of kindness is played out over on the side stage, the trivial incidents? So you mean our author really wants us this morning? All these other things happening to the church, all the things happening to us, and I really wants us to talk about kindness? Yes. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Kind. Kindness is love as thoughtfulness. It's persistent consideration of others. It is picking up one's clothes. It is offering to um, help with the dishes. It is guarding one's tongue. It is consideration for each one, the next one. This, this man named Charles Sumner, he was a Sumner, he was a fairly famous senator from the Northeast during the Civil War. Close friend, Julia Ward Howe. Now you know that name. They worked in the the movement of abolition. Julia Ward Howe came to Sumner one day and she said, Charles, I want you to go with me. We got a friend. This friend is discouraged, disconsolate. We need to go. And Sumner said, no, I'm sorry, Julia. I won't be going. She said, why? He said, frankly, Julia, I'm at the point, so many big things going on, I'm no longer interested in individuals. And she said, oh, Charles, oh, Charles, not even God has reached that place, okay. Uh, but it's easy, it's, it's distracting to imagine ourselves in significant places, wrestling with significant issues, and in such imaginings we miss the immediate possibilities, casting our eyes, distant, large triumphs. And what do we miss? Next person, next step. Someone said, kindness is the morality of the next encounter. Ooh. That means that every human encounters a chance at holiness. In the realm of kindness, there's no such thing as a useless meeting, a minor meeting. You'd have to really mount quite an argument to convince me there's no power in kindness. I was in an office building not long ago, big, sprawling office rooms. 
it was probably almost as large as our sanctuary floor here. All these different desks and cubicles. I went to see a friend of mine. I knew this man well. This person just oozed, exuded kindness. It was just part of the fabric of who he was. And I got over to where he worked, and you could feel it all around his workspace. It was palpable. Something about the way he had lived right there in that space, and you could feel it. So many square yards of a haven of blessing. You could just feel it. Kindness reaches and steps up and steps out, and um, it says, friend, stranger, I wish you well. Kindness speaks a language that everybody can understand. The deaf can hear it, the blind can see it. But look, I said earlier, it's a fairly simple process we're talking about. No, I'm, I'm going to change that. We're talking about kindness from the gospel, okay, from the New Testament. It's not going to be so simple. It's going to get large, okay. When you and I talk about kindness, we talk about the milk of human kindness. We talk about the best part of us, that warm affection we have toward others bubbling out toward them. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not gospel-sized kindness, okay? That, that, that just doesn't really work, or it doesn't work very well, or very long, or go very far. It stays within narrow confines. The problem is, a lot of times, I just don't have those warm affections. A lot of times, I'm dealing with people I'm not sure I like, I'm not sure deserve my kindness. Now, you see, gospel-sized kindness isn't about just the milk of human kindness. It's a kindness that's only possible as a gift from God. God's new way of helping us to see the world in Christ Jesus. Oh, by the way, word got out that I was preaching on kindness. And I got several messages on my voicemail. I didn't say email because you know me. I don't do that. But I do have voicemail. And several messages came in on my voicemail. One of them was a businessman, and I knew something about him. His name was Zacchaeus. I, I had a good picture of him, short guy, Italian suit, all teeth and tan, Colhans, Ray-Bans. He had the look, but don't let appearances fool you. This is what he said on the voicemail. He said, you know the truth about me. I had the book, Bucks, but I had no friends. He says, nobody ever came to my house, not even the Jehovah Witnesses knocked on mind over. And he said, but you can't blame people. He said, look, um, oh yeah, I built this really big house on the edge of town, but you know how I paid for it. I paid for it by skimming off the taxation, the burdensome taxation of our people. Nobody ever came to my house until Jesus came to town. And there it was, I had shimmied up this sycamore tree and he comes over and he announces in a loud, voice loud enough for everybody to hear that he was going to come and have supper at my house tonight. Now, he didn't have to do that. I mean, there was a diner just three blocks down. Um, I could have had him over for supper at the club. Okay. But um, he said loud enough for everybody to hear he was going to be at my house for supper. His, his signature, first signature in my guest book. Don't you think that was kind? Unbelievably kind. I, I agree with Zacchaeus. 
It was unbelievably beyond the normal reach of kindness. Oh, we like to talk about Jesus, his power, his passion, his devotion. But those who drew near to him and knew him best knew that he brought God close to them through the cloak of kindness. Kind enough even to be kind to somebody labeled a crook. Luke 6, what did Jesus say? God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I think that means God's kind to everybody. That's the character of God. And what is our author saying? Look, folks, you've, you're the children of God. I mean, you've been called to this Christ-like life. Your character is to be created by the character of God. And the character of God is gracious, kind, period. Oh, I'm going to be generous to somebody who's been generous to me. Where's the grace in that? I'm going to be kind to those who have been kind to me. Where is the grace in that? Now listen. When the gospel talks about kindness, it's talking about a refusal to treat people in terms of how we feel about them at the moment or what they are presenting at the moment. It means having the capacity to look at that person not just once, but look at them twice or three times until you see what's there in their depths. The image of God, they are children of God, surrounded by the love of God, embraced by the grace of God. It's interesting to me, our author said, here are the powers that Christ has given you, the powers of self-control and wisdom and endurance and brotherly and sisterly kindness. And he said, if you're not living into those things, it's because you're blind. You have become nearsighted. Isn't that interesting using the metaphor of sight? In other words, what you see is what you get. And what you get in Jesus is a whole new way of seeing the creation, of seeing other people that begets a whole new way of being kind. There's this marvelous passage in one of Beekner's novels. There's this character named Leo Bebb. He's a college student. And he's gotten in a real wrangle with his professor named Roebuck. They've been arguing over a term paper that Leo Bebb had written. So Bebb goes storming into Roebuck's office and he's getting ready to take him on. And he looks there on the desk of Roebuck and there he sees the nameplate, the nameplate on the desk. And it says, Virgil W. Roebuck. And he says to himself, wait a minute now. To me, he had just been Roebuck. And, but this isn't just any old Roebuck. This is the Roebuck whose parents um, held him and loved him and thought enough of him that they settled on the name Virgil. Beekner said, once you commence to do that, once you commence to see the lines around somebody's eyes and around their mouth, and you think of the hope their parents had for them, you cannot keep that person at a dispassionate distance. You see, that is a new way of seeing that begets a new way of being kind. A kind of kindness that changes the world. We're not talking about kindness today because it's sugar and spice and everything nice. No, this is our way of joining God and Jesus, making a new world. It's a larger kindness. Remember those couple of people I mentioned earlier, the pharmacist that isn't being kind, she's being gruff because she's tired and it's been a long day. 
Can you be kind to her? It's the fellow that brings all his problems from home to the office and he's spreading it around. Can you be kind to him? Now I'm going to put this bluntly. Christian kindness is an act of civil disobedience. It's a refusal to respond to people according to the mores, the traditions, the customs, and the labels of the status quo. We say, no, that doesn't work with us. What do we see? We see the image of God in each one. And when people aren't living into that image, what do we see? The hopes of the Creator that they can be recreated into that image. Hey, the truth of the matter is a lot of us are kind of struggling to get back to that original blessing, aren't we? What we were made for. And what did we find along the way? The grace, the loving kindness of God. I mean, who are we? Who are we? Not to be gracious. Not to be kind. Well, this isn't going to be an abstract sermon because in a few moments you're going to be walking out the doors and you're going to walk into Asheville and you're going to spend some time with some people you know and people you don't know. And I guarantee you there will be an occasion, an occasion to be kind. Now I know some of you are sitting out there thinking you, you really haven't been to church and you haven't been heard a sermon until you hear a three-point sermon. Three-point sermon with a nice little poem on the end. You are not going to get the poem in the end, but right now I'm going to give you a three-point sermon. Rob, you mean you're going to start it up all over again? It's not going to be long, but you're going to get a three-point sermon. Here's the prologue. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have been called to see the world through his x-ray kind of vision of all things and all people. And given that, and here's the three-point sermon. Go forth and be kind, be kind, be kind, amen.